If you were not with us here last week, we uh, began a new series to kind of kick off the end of the year and bring us into uh, the new year. And we talked about that if we're going to experience a big move of God in our lives and really in our church, we need to position ourselves for that blessing. We need to position ourselves. We need to live with all we are, mind, soul, spirit, and strength, everything we think, things we confess, and what we do, we need to do these things in light of his glory. That's what it is to go vertical, to live with God in mind and in all things. But just like a sports situation, even with the best of intentions, we are not always ready to receive the blessings of God. So like any good coach, when you're looking at your, your, uh, your team and you're looking at those that, are, that you're entrusted to, to train, like any good coach would do, you would send your team and those uh, that are going to be running plays for you or, or being a part of your sports organization, you would send them through training to condition themselves, to, to prepare them to be able to compete. And last week, we talked about how God also sends us through training. We call them training deserts. And these are periods of time in our lives where where there's maybe a struggle, where we're forced to depend on God to make it through. And God uses these training deserts to really open our eyes, to help us see things about our lives, about our circumstances, our situation that maybe we weren't really seeing or open to seeing before. Uh, he, he does this to prune us, to, to uh, just break off like a, a potter molds clay into a, a, a wonderful masterpiece. He begins to mold us and shape us in the training so that when the time comes, the time for the blessing comes, we'll be spiritually ready to receive it. God uses these training deserts. And just like a coach trains his player to be able to achieve the prize, God trains us to receive that blessing. But the reality is for every athlete and for us as children of God, the training is not all there is. The training is not all there is. Once you're trained, you don't automatically win. I know contrary to kind of our culture today where it seems like if you just decide you want to play on a team, you should automatically get the trophy no matter, no matter what success the team does or does not have. That is contrary to actual life. Once we're trained, we don't automatically win. There are winners. There are losers. The winners are the ones that rise up and overcome over the others. This is life. So we are fooling ourselves to think that we can win uh, the prize. We can win the blessing and come, you know, just just show up without putting in the work needed to prepare us for the win. You know, though our bodies might be in tip-top condition from training and our spirits might be in tune with God and strengthened because of training, they might be ready to be a part of a move of God, there is something yet in the way that prevents the glory to fall. There's something in the way that prevents the blessing to just come automatically, and it is the conflict. It is the competition. It is the race. It is the very thing God has been preparing you for in the desert. 
You don't just wander the desert aimlessly. You are being prepared for a purpose. You're being prepared for something. It is the very thing God is trying to prepare you for. He's trying to lead you into this blessing, and he's preparing you in the desert, in the training, to acquire it. Every race there is is like a battle. If you think of cross country or, or the Olympics where they're running and racing against each other, every race is like a battle because each runner is literally fighting against the training and the abilities of the runner in the lane next to him. You're fighting, you're competing, you're battling against the others in the race with you. And you're battling to be the first one to cross the finish line, to be the one to receive the prize. Today, in this message, we're talking about race battles. Somebody say race battles today. Let me know you're awake. Matter of fact, touch your neighbor and ask them, are you ready to run your race today? Are you ready? Every battle is like a race. We're talking about race battles. And, and I used to kind of like to jog outside, and you know, in the weather like this, you, you couldn't catch me running outside if my life depended on it. But uh, I, I, I like to run outside probably because, uh, unlike a treadmill, if you're running outside and you want to quit, you still have to make it home. So there's extra incentive to keep going until you're done. But uh, um, every runner who trains, they train themselves so that they are conditioned in the race to give it all they have. So that the moment that that gun fires or the whistle blows or whatever begins the race, you are conditioned to give it all you have. Your blood's going to pump. Your heart's going to pound. Your lungs are going to squeeze, trying to get as much oxygen in that they can. And the hope is that everything you have to give will be enough to win the competition. The race battle is what we train for, not the blessing. The blessing comes after the battle. What we're really training for is the battle. We're training so that when the battle comes, we'll be able to handle the rigors and challenges of the competition, which will place us in that place to win. So at the end of the competition, we will be the ones to receive the prize or the blessing. And the same is true for us spiritually. We do not go through training deserts just to come out on the other side and to, to relax and to be at peace and, and just act like, okay, that's done. Now I can just rest for the rest of my life. No, we go through training deserts in order to be able to face the challenge that God was preparing us for on the other side, the thing that God is going to use to be the instrument to bring in the blessing. But most of the time, I think that when we're found in the training desert, when we're going through periods of struggle, we just want the struggles to end. We're, we're like, God, I don't know what's going on, but I just, I'm tired of battling. I'm tired of struggling. I'm tired of wandering from struggle to struggle. I just want some peace in my life. I want to get to a place where I don't have to struggle anymore. And we don't recognize that God is positioning us in the struggle for the race battle that it's going to require us to battle in faith to bring about the blessings that we so desire. And what's been my experience is that once we get through the desert on the other side, rather than just being pumped up for the battle, being pumped up for that next stage, that next thing, we end up taking a spiritual vacation and saying, okay, now I don't have to try so hard. Now I can rest. Now I relax. And rather than stepping up, and stepping out into an act of faith and stepping up to the starting line ready to run our race battle, 
we sink back down and get comfortable, and before long, we find ourselves out of shape, needing to go back through a training desert. See, last week we talked about the nation of Israel and how God brought them from Egypt through the desert to the very promised land, to the starting line of of the race battle that he wanted them to run. But since they had more fear than faith, and they convinced themselves they couldn't run the race, they were sent back into the desert to wander for 40 years until they were spiritually ready for the blessing. Yet at the end of the 40 years, they didn't just uh, come out of the training desert and walk nonchalantly into the promised land. No, they had to step up to the starting line and run the race to battle and run the race that God had prepared them for before receiving the prize. And God led them really to the first leg of their battle to a city called Jericho. Jericho is one of the most fascinating pieces of biblical archaeology that, that you can look at. Uh, they found the ruins. They've seen the old city. They, they've seen how the city was constructed. Jericho was considered an impenetrable city. This was a, a, a city that no one thought could be conquered because it was not only created on a hill, so it was an upper elevation, but there were two sets of walls. The upper city was surrounded by high walls with towers, and the lower part of the city was surrounded by walls and towers. There was no way any army could just walk walk up and take this city. It was considered an impenetrable fortress. But here, um, Joshua, the newly appointed leader of Israel, was being led of God out of the trading desert to the starting line. And the starting line began at Jericho to this race battle. And here, Joshua was being led by God to begin clearing the land that he had promised to give to his ancestors. In Joshua chapter 5, beginning in verse 13, this is what the word of the Lord records. It says, When Joshua was near the town of Jericho, he looked up and saw a man standing in front of him with a sword in hand. Joshua went up to him and demanded, Are you friend or foe? Neither one, he replied. I am the commander of the Lord's army. At this, Joshua fell with his face to the ground in reverence. I am at your command, Joshua said. What do you want your servant to do? And the commander of the Lord's army replied, Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy. And Joshua did as he was told. Now the gates of Jericho were tightly shut because the people were afraid of the Israelites. No one was allowed to go in or out. But the Lord said to Joshua, I've given you Jericho, its king, and all of its strong warriors. You and your fighting men should march around the town once a day for six days. Seven priests will walk ahead of the ark, each carrying a ram's horn. And on the seventh day, you are to march around the town seven times with the priest blowing the horns. And when you hear the priest give one long blast on the ram's horn, have all the people shout as loud as they can, then the walls of the town will collapse and the people can charge straight into the town. Now keep in mind, we are in the early Bronze Age in America, or not really American, but human history. In modern warfare, during this part of time, the, in this time period, would come with the understanding that in order to take a city like this, to sack a city and defeat it, you would have to be able to break through or scale the wall somehow. You're not just going to walk up and, and just walk through the wall. 
You're not going to be able to just knock on the door and say, hey, let us in. We're here to conquer you, right? You know, they would have to put siege rams or they would have to try to get some type of ladder to be able to scale those walls in order to defeat this city. And many of the opposing army would be defeated because of the enemy fire being rained down from the vantage point up top. This was a near impossible victory to win. These were massive walls, and Jericho, again, was historically impenetrable and safe from enemy attack. But what our Lord, what Jesus is telling Joshua to do was not only counter to any logical uh, thing a person might think to do in a battle situation like this. It was not only counter to what I would say would be a rational idea or thought in this situation in regards to taking the city by force, but in my mind, it would seem almost foolish to think that power walking around a city seven times, once a day for six days and then seven times on the seventh, the power walking around the city and then shouting would do anything or have any kind of effect. It's just like that, that wouldn't even be a thought that we would have. Be like, yeah, how is walking around the city going to do anything? It, it seemed completely foolish, completely nonsensical. But this is what God was asking the people to do. And you know what? This is also what walking in faith is often like. It's not just about being faithful to follow the commands of God in the ways that make sense. You know, God says, you know, be generous, give a tithe, 10%. Okay, I'm, I can do that. That makes sense. God says, gather together and worship. Okay, we'll set aside Sunday for that. We can do that. That makes sense. But sometimes God asks us to do things that defies logic, that defies reason, that doesn't make any sense whatsoever, but yet he still leads Things that we can't even wrap our minds around. Sometimes God says, this is what I want you to do. You know, it's following God into those types of battles where it seems like the odds are totally stacked against us. There's no way that victory could come. There's no success that could be seen in sight where things could, could terribly go very, very wrong. Sometimes God will ask us to do those types of illogical things. But what God showed Israel in the training desert and what he shows us in our own training deserts is that he is a faithful God. Anybody believe that today? That our God is faithful? He never sleeps or slumbers, Scripture says. He never grows weary. And he never fails. And there is nothing that our God asks of us to do that if we act upon and be obedient through faith, that he will not bring to fruition in our lives. Nothing. He's faithful. In Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse 15, it says, Remember that you were once slaves in Egypt, but the Lord your God brought you out with his strong hand and powerful arm. This is why the Lord your God has commanded you to rest on the Sabbath day. The Sabbath day for the nation of Israel was not just a day of rest, but it was a day that was set aside for them to remember the faithful acts of their God, to remember the things that he did, the miraculous work and the mighty provision. They were to look back on everything God had done and brought them through in order to fuel their faith to help them walk in obedience toward the things he was calling them to. And that's something we often forget. God calls us to remember the, the things he has brought us through to fuel our faith for the things he is calling us to. The Sabbath day was a day of rest, aside to think about what God had done. Deuteronomy chapter 6, 4 through 10. 
says, listen, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone. You must love the Lord God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. You must commit yourselves wholeheartedly to these commands that I'm giving you today. Repeat them again and again to your children. Talk about them when you're at home and when you're on the road, when you're going to bed and when you're getting up. Tie them to your hands and wear them on your forehead as reminders. Write them on the doorposts of your house and your gates. The Lord your God will soon bring you into the land he swore to give you when he made a vow to your ancestors, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. It is a land with large, prosperous cities that you did not build. God was having them remember not just the commands and the decrees, but all the mighty acts that he had done among the people as they were getting ready to start this race battle. Why? So that they would be filled with the faith to walk in obedience, regardless of how crazy the situation seemed. And God, for us, is constantly calling us to remember his commands, his promises, his past faithfulness, to use the power of these things to keep us motivated in walking forward by faith, out of the training desert, through the race battle, and into the winner's circle. See, entering this power-walking competition for the nation of Israel, though it looked insane on the outside, it looked completely crazy, this is exactly what God had in mind for them to do. It was exactly why he sent them through the training desert, because God needed them to learn that God's logic and man's logic are two totally different things. In Isaiah chapter 55, verse 9, the word of God says, For just as the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways, and my thoughts are higher than your thoughts. Think about that for a minute. God, who created all there is, he's saying, my ways are higher My ways are higher. My thoughts are beyond your thoughts, which means maybe, just maybe, God is going to have an understanding and he's going to have a perspective of things that we can't comprehend, which is why we can trust it. Because we're not going to know all the answers. We're not going to have all the blanks filled in, but we trust the one who does. God's perspective is far beyond anything we can fully grasp. You know, my wife and I were just talking the other day because uh, just before the, the Christmas holiday, our dishwasher broke. It went out. And if any of you, you know, I don't, I don't know if you're like me, I really can't stand washing dishes, but I also hate a full sink, so it's kind of a, a, a double-edged sword. Um, I, hate, I hate both, so you ended up, you know, doing that anyways. But uh, washing dishes for a family of six is quite a feat, especially, you know, when you make dinner. You, by the time you get the first set of dishes done and you have a meal, you're, you're piled high again. And so it was, it was kind of nerve-wracking and frustrating, and it's just like, oh, just before the holidays, and we're having family come in. What's up with this God? You know, but uh, most of you know that, you know, over the last couple months, one of our dogs had puppies, and we were able to get most of them sold off, or actually all of them sold off by Christmas. So we made a little extra money, and we were able to use that money to buy a new uh, dishwasher. And so, you know, as I'm thinking about this, I'm thinking, you know, what was a frustrating circumstance for me? Well, it seemed to be a struggle or something that that I'm like, God, why now? Why are you allowing this to happen now? God was using that series or, or that time of frustration to make way for our time of blessing. He was using something that was broken in order to bring a blessing. You see, what we saw as a frustration with a broken dishwasher, God saw as an opportunity to bless us with a new one. 
See, we don't always understand why God leads us into or allows different circumstances in our life. Why, oh God, why did I have to go through that situation? God, why am I having to struggle with this? God, why is my boss at work hassling me the way he's hassling me? We don't always understand the why in our lives, but when we opt to follow God's logic by faith, miracles happen and his blessings fall. You know, in any sport, many times as you are active in the race battle or in the competition, the game plan has to be modified on the fly if you're to overcome your opponent. Sometimes things happen that are unexpected and you have to kind of change what you originally planned in order to uh, become victorious. Being married to one way or one thought process many times can mean certain defeat. The Israelites, they had to adopt a new strategy. It wasn't warfare as usual when it came to Jericho and this competition that God was setting them up for. If they were going to win the battle against this impenetrable city, they were going to have to trust not only the coaching, walk around once a day for six days and then on the seventh day seven times, but they were going to have to trust the coach that his intentions were good, that he was true, that he'd be faithful, that he had a perspective on things that they didn't quite have themselves, that no matter how weird or how crazy the game plan or the change of plan uh, was or how the commands didn't make sense or seem rational, they would have to trust God if they were going to succeed. In this race battle that Jesus sent the Israelites on, this power-walking race with seven legs where they had to walk around the city you know, this is what many call nowadays a Jericho walk because of this one event. People oftentimes, if there's something that's on their heart or they're going through a struggle or they're really praying that God would hear and answer, they will go on what's called a Jericho walk where people will walk around, you know, a location or a place or, um, you know, walk through the city for about seven times in order to uh, have God hear their prayer. And uh, last year, I was going through, you know, some challenges and some difficulties and uh, through a situation in my life, and I felt like God laid on my heart to do a Jericho walk. And so, um, you know, I just was under a lot of spiritual attack and things that were happening. And so I decided, okay, I'm going to do this. I'm going to walk around my home, and I'm going to do it once a day for six days. And on the seventh day, I'm going to do it seven times, and I'm just going to pray and ask God to do a work. And so I set out to do this. And I cannot tell you how difficult it actually was. You think, well, walking around your house once a day for seven days, that doesn't seem like a big deal. It was actually way more challenging than I thought it was because it seemed that every time I set aside time to, to go on this walk, to be obedient, to follow what God was laying on my heart, something would happen to kind of derail this. And if I'm honest, I would only get like two or three days and then I would like either forget the next day or something would happen. I would lose opportunity to do it. And I would repeat this process for about two weeks trying to figure out how am I going to complete this Jericho walk? And finally, I just determined in my heart, okay, I'm going to do this, God. I'm not going to let anything stop me. And I made it six days, once a day, seventh day, seven times, just praying in the spirit, asking God to work powerfully. And at the completion of that, I just felt a shift in my spirit and something happened and just felt like God was, was moving. And I can only imagine, because we hadn't been in the home very long, that my neighbors were like, what kind of crazy fool is living next to me? The guy's walking around his house talking to himself. You know, what's up with that? You know, and, and I can only imagine, that's probably why my one neighbors don't even talk to me. They don't even look in our direction. You know, but, uh, but I completed the walk, and I, I felt this shift happen. 
And I can only imagine as I'm thinking about this story. See, my situation is just one person around one house uh, doing this on my own. I can't imagine trying to move several hundred thousand people, even maybe a couple million people at this point, around a city. You see, the more people you have involved in a process, the more opportunity for oppression, opposition, faithfulness, faithlessness, and turmoil to come against what is calling you to do is there. This is why they missed the promised land the first time. And for many of us, whenever we're set up for a race battle or we're set up for something that God is leading us to do in faith, we allow strife or maybe what's going on within us, this inner turmoil or turmoil in our relationships to prevent us from even stepping up to the starting line and beginning the race. From launching our faith into action and battling through the circumstances with all that we are, we look at the opposition and we're like, mm, nah, I just don't have time for that. Or I just don't think I have the strength to do that, God. I just came out of this situation and now you're asking me to do this. I just don't think I have it in me. We keep from launching our faith into action. And we don't adopt the no quit attitude, that I will die before I give up attitude because we allow these frustrations and hurt feelings and, and all these things to pull us away from the starting line, even out of the race altogether. This is why people come and they're on fire for you know, God and then all of a sudden you don't see them anymore because something happened and pulled them out of the race. What we have to understand about this particular story and the life of the Israelites is that the victory against Jericho, we know the end of the story, the walls come tumbling down, they walk into the city and they defeat it. This, this story was actually won hundreds of years prior to this event even happening. Except it wasn't a power walking race that, that really won the race. It was a wrestling match that took place. In Genesis chapter 32, Verses 22 through 30, Jacob, who essentially is the father of Israel, he's the grandson of Abraham, he swindled the birthright of his brother in order to receive the blessing from his father. He is now in this point in the scriptures having to face the consequences of his actions because his brother was really ticked of what he did, wanted to kill him. And so now he's faced with these consequences and the much-needed steps he needed to begin reconciliation and repairing this relationship. And so he makes a camp outside of just where his brother is staying, sends all these gifts and servants over to his brother. And the night before he is to meet his brother, he begins to send everyone on ahead as he prepares for whatever is about to happen. And in verse 22, uh, Jacob has an encounter with God that is actually, in my mind, quite quite funny. In Genesis chapter 32, verse 22, it says, during the night, Jacob got up and took his two wives and his two servant wives and even his 11 sons crossed the Jabbok River with them. After taking them on the other side, he sent over all of his possessions. This left Jacob all alone in the camp and a man came and wrestled with them until the dawn began to break. When the man saw that he would not win the match, he touched Jacob's hip and wrenched it out of its socket. Then the man said, let me go, for the dawn is breaking. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. What is your name? The man asked. He replied, Jacob. Your name will no longer be Jacob, the man told him. For now on, you will be called Israel because you have fought with God and with men and have won. Please tell me your name, Jacob said. Why do you want to know my name? The man replied. And then he blessed Jacob there. And Jacob named the place uh, Peniel, which means face of God. For he said, I have seen God face to face, yet my life has been spared. This is probably one of the weirdest, but also most 
funny stories in the scripture in my mind because I find it funny that here Jacob is by himself and God just shows up and like drops a people elbow and starts wrestling the guy. I don't know if he like bum rushes him and grabs him and takes him down, but just like out of nowhere, it's like Jacob's minding his own business and here God shows up and just attacks the guy. You know, that it's just, it's crazy to think about that, that Jesus would show up and, and just start, you know, messing with him like that, which only reveals to me that Jesus is really a UFC fan and I have more in common with him than what I thought, I think, uh, here in this story. You know, Jesus is a little bit more fun than what we realize or what we make him out to be. But here, Jacob is minding his own business, and all of a sudden, he finds himself wrestling with God. And what does God do? God perceives that he, the creator of the world, the creator of the universe, who spoke everything into existence, the one who formed Jacob in his mother's womb, the one with infinite power, wisdom, and glory, is not going to win the match. This doesn't mean Jacob was more powerful than God. But it does reveal the desperation and commitment in Jacob's heart to win the fight at any cost. That Jacob was not going to give up. Jesus even broke the dude's hip. He fights dirty, y'all. He fights dirty. He's like, get off of me. I'm going to break her. He breaks the guy's hip and he doesn't let go. He would not let go until Jacob won the match because in his mind, winning meant receiving a blessing from God and Jacob wanted to be blessed by God beyond anything else. It was worth dying for. He would stop at nothing, not even going through excruciating pain to get blessed by God. And guess what? He did. He not only went through the pain, but he was blessed. God changed his name from Jacob, which means heel holder or supplanter. When he was born, he came out holding the heel of his brother, trying to be the first one out. He was the second born, but he was trying to even overcome his brother at that time. He swindled his brother, supplanted him in order to receive the blessing. He was not a very honest or upright man. He was a swindler. He was a a cheat. And this was the identity that Jacob had to live under because of his name. This was who he was and what people knew him by. But yet God changed his name to Israel, which means God prevails. This is significant. This is significant. Because though Jacob came into the world through cheating and swindling, his story would end now because of this blessing by being defined by God being the one who would fight for and through him to obtain ultimate victory. At this moment, Jacob and his family for all time became the ultimate fighter because it was through his line that the Messiah, Jesus Christ the Lord, was born who overcame death and sin and hell once and for all, paving the way for eternal life for each and every one of us. God prevails was his new name. No longer was he the swindler or the cheat. He was now God prevails. Just think, though, what the outcome might have been of the wrestling match if Jacob had given up. To leave only to stay the swindler and the cheat. Think about the race battle. If Jacob had given up, 
nation of Israel standing before the gates of Jericho. And God was no longer the one who would fight for him. See, Jesus showed up and told Joshua to march around the city with sword drawn in hand because God prevailed. God was the one fighting for the nation of Israel. If Jacob had not won that struggle, God might not have shown up with the sword to help Israel with the next struggle. It was the same man who Jacob wrestled against, the Lord of heaven's armies that would be leading the sons of Israel into victory against the impenetrable city, who would fight for Israel on his behalf, who would cause the walls to come tumbling down and let that nation walk up into the city unchallenged. But if Jacob hadn't held on for dear life, if he had not held on for the blessing at all costs, God might not have been there in that time. Israel would have had to find another way. They would have to have swindled their way into the victory under the legacy of Jacob's name. They would have had to find a way through human means and human logic and human understanding to try to beat this city rather than have God fight their battles for them. And I think this is where many of us get stuck. We spend a lot of our time and our energy trying to operate under Jacob, scheming our way into blessing, managing by our own strength, our own knowledge, our own abilities, trying to control our situation to make outcomes happen that we want to see happen. We try to use human means and methods that make sense to our minds when God is saying, trust me, follow me, listen and believe Walk in faith, and I will fight your battles for you. And I will be the one who prevails in your life. I will go before you, and I will never leave you or forsake you. Think about what might have happened if Israel did not show up to the starting line of Jericho. If they didn't even attempt to walk in this race battle or win this race battle, but instead tried to fight the battle using conventional means, where instead of doing what God wanted them to do, they decided to do what was most comfortable for them. It would not have gone well. Like every army before them, they would have been defeated. And now think about your situation today, church. Think about the struggles in your own life. Think about the steps of faith God is asking or might be calling on you to take. Think about what he's been preparing you for in the training desert and what you need to do to step up to the starting line today and say, God, I'm going to follow you in faith no matter what the consequences are. Think about what's going on in your life and think about the consequences if you choose to go by man's logic versus God's logic. God is leading you to a blessing and to a victory. The question is, do you have the faith to step up to the starting line of your race battle? Do you have the faith to keep walking in obedience no matter how crazy or insane it might seem or feel? Do you have the faith to obey the Lord's command and keep being faithful no matter what your opponents throw at you in the battle? How badly do you really want to be blessed by God? Do you just kind of want it? Or is it worth dying for? 
This is kind of like a New Year's resolution. You know, a lot of people on their New Year's resolution, they decide they, they want to lose a few pounds this year. This question is kind of like that. Do you just want to lose a few pounds and so you start a diet? Or are you so committed to being in shape and becoming healthy, you're willing to radically transform and reconfigure your entire life to achieve it? Is it just a kind of want to lose a few pounds or is it I want to be healthy? Is it I just kind of want God's blessing or I am willing to stop at nothing to receive the blessing? Hebrews 12, chapter 1, this is our key verse today and should be in your worship guide. It says this, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up, and let us run with endurance the race God has set before us. The question is not, is God setting a race before us? He is. The question is, will we run? Will we battle in the race? Some of you here today, you've yet to start your race. God's been placing a step of faith right in front of you, something he's been preparing you for even before today, yet you've yet to begin to make your laps around the city. See, the city of Jericho, in my mind, symbolizes the gateway to blessing. They had to get through Jericho before they could get to anywhere else in the promised land. You've got to go through Jericho to get to the fulfillment of his promises. What is your Jericho today? What is your Jericho? What is the gateway standing between you and the promised land? What race battle is God leading you to compete in? Maybe today the first lap you need to take is to trust in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. To step up to the starting line by saying, God, I'm going to start today to walk in faith. I'm going to turn away from my sin. And I'm going to trust in Jesus and his death and his resurrection. I'm going to choose to follow him all the days of my life. I'm going to declare him today as my Lord and Savior. I'm going to, to stop at nothing but to follow God's will for my life. Maybe that's you. Maybe there's something you've been thinking about doing for a long time now, but you've been hesitant to begin taking steps toward pursuing it. There's a God-sized vision in your heart. Every time you think about it, it makes your palms sweaty and your heart begins to pound and, and, and your eyes begin to light up. There's a God-sized vision in your heart, but the reality is you've been too fearful to chase after it. You see, it will only be by pursuing that vision that God will be able to empower your faith and bring that blessing into fruition. We have to run our race. Some of you here today, you started to run your race. You started strong. But the rigors of the race battle have exhausted you. And you've let the weariness of the battle take you out of the fight. Rather than holding on for dear life like Jacob... You've let go, and you've tapped out. And you said, I can't do it anymore. Today, God is calling on you to refocus, to reshift, to focus on Jesus, to focus on who you are in Jesus, 
to focus on the vision that he's given, that he's placed in your heart, to focus on his promises, to focus on his commands, to focus on his past faithfulness, to see that when you humble yourself in the sight of God at the right time, he will lift you up in honor, to refocus, re-engage, to get up and chase after it with all you have. I heard a motivational speaker one time talking about success and failure. He says, you know, many times we pursue success, we feel a little bit of pain, and we get overwhelmed emotionally, we start crying, and we give up. And he said, don't cry to give up. Cry to keep going. Cry to keep going. Don't worry about a little bit of pain. Cry to keep going. Get a reward from it. And our, our society today, it seems like we're so weak where when we start feeling that pain and we start getting emotional and, and then we start feeling overwhelmed, we give up. Rather, that's when we need to dig in, hold on, trust, believe, follow, and see God do miracles and work powerfully in our midst. Some of you know, you know what God is leading you to do. Whether it's become more involved or begin initiatives in the community to reach people with the gospel. Maybe it's to become a more sacrificial giver to enable us to reach more people and to do more ministry as a body of Christ. Maybe it's to surrender into the ministry, to, to begin training as a church planner, or pastor, missionary, administrator, whatever. Whatever it is. Whatever is seems to be the most unlikely or impossible thing that you could do with your life might very well be the very thing God is calling you to do because though it is impossible with men, all things are possible with God. If you asked me five years ago if I thought I could plant a church and be a pastor, I would have thought you were crazy. Probably still am. But here I am. And here you are. Whatever it is, whatever race God is asking you to run, wherever the starting line is, whatever the conflict or competition, you have to believe God has prepared you for such a time as this. You've been trained not to be lazy. You've been trained to compete. And at the end of the competition comes the reward and the prize. And today, you need to look back on God's faithfulness and then press forward toward in faith because he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He will not fail. He will not let us down. His promises are true. His commands are good. And we can do all things, church, what? Through Christ, who gives us strength. Let's pray. Father in heaven, God, I just thank you for our time here today. God, I thank you for those that are here that have made Vertical Life Church their home. I thank you for everything you're doing to cultivate, to mold, to shape, God, and to prepare us for the next level, for the next step. God, give us the faith to run our race. God, give us the faith to step out and follow you even when things don't make sense, even when logic seems far away, God, when things seem like, like there's no way good can come out of the situation, God, give us the faith to follow through. Don't let pain deter us from the right path. Don't let frustration and struggle and weariness take us off course. God, give us the strength. Give us the faith. And then, God, help us to see that when we race, when we battle, you are right there, right next to us. You are going before us. You are following us from behind. God, we are walking in your mighty power. God, the walls of Jericho fell 
not because Israel was all that great, but it is because you were great and your word is true. And when your people respond in faith, miracles happen and blessings come. So I just speak to the one who's struggling in their spirit, who's struggling to pray, who's struggling to seek God, who's struggling to have faith just to wake up each morning, who's struggling with just the day-to-day things that they face with God. I speak to them and speak over them now in the name of Jesus, that your encouragement would fill their hearts, that they would see that God great, uh, greater is he that is in them than he that is in the world, that they have more power in them than what they can understand because of who they trust in as their Lord and Savior. God, I speak to the one today that's yet to say, Jesus, I'm going to follow you all the days of my life. I speak over them now in the name of Jesus, God, asking your Holy Spirit to put them under such conviction, God, that they cannot go another minute, another second with saying, yes, God, I will respond to the gospel. I will give the Lord my heart. I do it now. Jesus, be my Lord. God, I pray for them right now in the name of Jesus. God, I pray that as we go into this time of prayer and declaration, that your spirit would move. That those that have been hesitating in fear from following the things that you've put before them in faith, God, that they would come and they would lay that fear down and they would rise up in faith, ready to run their race. For those that know that they need to trust in Jesus as their Lord and Savior to begin a relationship with God and to be saved, God, that they would come down and they would, they would just take me by the, the side and say, Joey, I need to trust Jesus. I need salvation. I need to begin a relationship with God today. I don't know that if I were to die today that I would go to heaven. I don't know that God really loves me. Help me have a relationship with God. Help me make Jesus my Lord and Savior today. God, I pray that they would do that without hesitation. God, I pray for our church. I pray for those that are here today, those that are at home, those that may be away and out of town. God, I pray that faith would rise up in our hearts. God, I pray that there would be so much faith, Lord, that we wouldn't know what to do with ourselves. God, that we are, would be so ready to run our race, that we'd be ready to give what needs to be given, to serve what needs to be served. God, to walk and to follow wherever you're leading. Let us, who are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses to this life of faith, push away everything that slows us down. All the doubts, all the questions, all the fears, all the pains, all the baggage, all the hurt, all the frustrations, all the uncertainty, everything that slows us down, God, help us now in the name of Jesus to strip that off so that we can run our race unhindered. Give us the hope and the strength to hold on in the battle until we receive the blessing. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. So I'll stand for just a moment. We're going to open the time of response as the band sings. If you have a word of encouragement or God laid, it's laid a word on your heart, the microphone is here for you to speak encouragement and that word to the church. If God's dealing with something with you in your heart, now's the time to come forward and let's pray. Let's be the church together. Let's take this house that's supposed to be a house of prayer and pray and allow God to do a work in all of our hearts. Now's the time.